Hi, my son. It's Friday, and this is the Friday show. Your look back at the week that was, and considering we didn't play in midweek, it feels like it's been an eventful week anyway. Uh, joining me to look back over it all, I've got Stefan. Morning, Stefan. Hi, how you doing? Very good. How are you? Yeah, good. Did you stay up all night and binge watch All or Nothing like a few people did? No, it was, it was good. It broke UK. It broke about, I think, about 9.30, so got... I actually uh, watched two episodes, yeah, and then watched the first episode again with Mrs. B. Aha! Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, so got well two, but okay. We're gonna. I try think and... you actually do need to watch it a couple of times most of these episodes, uh, and with your finger on the pause button, because there are certain uh, things in the corner of the screen or slides on projectors. So there's one in particular that I was looking at last night, which is uh, not this. I think first episode we can assume is not a spoiler. Um, they have the um, the the squad, yeah, with two players in each position. Yes, I've seen. That. And then they and then on the side it says number four targets, i.e. the centre half targets that they're looking at, and they've um, blocked out the two names. Really? Yeah. And so I think this is it's quite sad detail, but I think you can see that one of them was Laporte, uh, but it's quite hard to make out who the other one could have been. Well, I've seen a headline this morning in the Times uh, about something that Khaldun said about how much Van Dyke was going to cost. So I'm presuming that later on uh, in the series, I guess getting closer to the January transfer window, there's a conversation about Van Dyke and his fee and what he may cost. Um, so well, maybe it could well, be. Well, no, that's interesting because I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that the one they blocked, the other name they blocked out was not Van Dyke. Because, because you can see, because you can see the, um, uh, you know, you, you would see that it would be three name, three, three bits of the name. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. So Fair it's one point. name. So I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, things like that. You know, there's lots of things just off shot that you want to look at yeah. later. Um, listen, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later. But just to begin, the opening question for you is: uh, La Liga are going to play a game a season in the USA. It was announced yesterday, and I think that uh, I've seen a lot of opinions on that thing. I've seen a lot of people signalling the death of football as we know it. Um, how do you feel about that in principle? I mean, I, I'm usually relatively progressive on commercial issues, shall we say. Uh, you know, because I think it's the reality generally. I think playing games abroad, league games, I think is just, I think it's a step too far. I think it's, uh, I haven't, first of all, I haven't seen anybody that thinks it's a good idea. I don't know if you have. Generally, overseas supporters, obviously. I've seen a few, um, I've seen a few American supporters uh, of various teams, actually, uh, get into quite heated discussions with, uh, with British supporters, basically putting forward the point of view that it's only one game and it's part of the globalisation of the sport. Yeah. But I mean, to be honest, the fact it's only one game argues against it. 
Because if you live in, I don't know, let's say you live in Chicago. So there's probably 20 cities where they can mm. play a game. There's, there's then one game a season with two out of the 20 teams. So the chances that if you're a Chicago-based football fan, that you're going to see your team is almost zero. So who, who is it for? I, I, you know, it, all it does is move the time zone mm. of the game. It, doesn't, it serves such a small number of people that it's a waste yeah, of I time. I think it's a fair point. And Very fair point. I, I just don't get it. I mean, first of all, how do you deal with the fact that a team loses a home game? Yeah, no, that's that's the biggest, that seems to be the biggest issue and it seems to be the one thing that I'm normally quite, a bit like you, maybe even more so in the sense that I understand, that I get the idea that football clubs are now big marketing machines and they're global and it's different to the way it was in the past, but who do you, how do you decide who you take a home game off and how is that, how does that not undermine the, credibility of the league itself. Do you think it under... Yeah, and it levels itself out over 20 years. I mean, it's just mm. nonsense. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, the only game that I could see, or games that I could see um, having merit to play them abroad would be the European Cup Final and the UEFA Cup Final. Those are games that are played randomly around quite a big area already. If a Spanish team or an English team or an Italian team or a French team, whoever had to fly instead of to the Ukraine had to fly to New York. Well, that would be no big deal. Um, it would be an amazing showpiece. It's going to be on a neutral ground anyway. Uh, so I can see, I can see a logic of something like that, but I cannot for the life of me understand league games being played um, in in the US or how it how it just works. I mean, look, I guess we should be pleased that it's not an additional game, which was the other. You know, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I never really, really even understood how that. Could yeah, what, work, how, what the, is the idea of the thirty ninth game? It, it's it, I don't really understand because it's obviously not a league game. I don't know. I mean, I, I thought the whole thing. I I was pleased that it it seemed to have gone nowhere, presumably on the back of the clubs. I mean. You know, if you look at um, how reluctant the clubs have been to make developments like VAR and how conservative they've acted in relation to the transfer window this season, you'd have to think that actually getting it through a vote will not be straightforward. So, uh, you know, we may be we may be worrying about nothing, and, and look, maybe the the Spanish uh, exercise will actually uh, just confirm that it's a stupid idea. And that actually, you know, if they do not sell out those games in a very big way, such that it's not even a commercial success, then the project is dead in the water. And also, I mean, if it is a league game, it goes back to that question of how do you decide, how do you decide who's losing their home game? And even if it's a sellout, if that team then goes on to lose that game in a foreign country, I suspect they'll have a lot to say about it. So... I just don't see how I don't see how they pull it off as a as just a regular league game. I just don't see how they pull it off. I mean, it also has to be a league game involving Barca or Real, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, that's the other thing. You know, if if it doesn't have either of those teams, maybe Atletico, but really, I just you know, I'd be surprised. So, 
you know, it's not even it's not even a randomly generated game. It it has to be a specially selected mm. game. It just doesn't work. No, no, it really doesn't. It's a very fair point. Um, okay, let's have a look at City's week, shall we? Um, I want to start by having a long look back at, at Arsenal. We've not really spoken about it. Um, thoughts on the win and the performance and what, if anything, it means for the season for you? Uh, I'm not sure it means a lot for the season, mm-hmm. uh, except that it's a big, difficult game, sort of. We'll talk about that a bit more, but sort of difficult game out of the way. You know, uh, I, I don't think all of the the rest of the, the top teams are going to go to Arsenal and win. I think that would be extremely unlikely. So, in you know, that straightaway is, a, is some kind of points advantage. Um, I don't think it tells us a massive amount about ourselves that we didn't already know uh, or individual players. Uh, there was obviously some positives. Uh, I don't think there was many weaknesses, uh, any, any negatives. Um, I think it said more about Arsenal, actually. Mm. Now... Before we talk kind of in, in de- a bit more detail about City, uh, me and you had a little bit of an exchange on Twitter just about uh, the way that, that Arsenal played. Um, and it's kind of a theme that I guess is in a lot of the kind of mainstream podcasts that I've listened to, it's definitely been the biggest talking point from that game is Petr being asked to play with the ball at his feet. Um I kind of heard a theory which was floated on a couple of podcasts that I wanted to float to you to see what you think. And that is that um, a couple of people have said that Emery probably knew that Czech couldn't play that way. But and because it was City, a game that they probably expected to lose, made it easier to stick him in goal, kind of knowing that if it doesn't work out and you do lose by two or three or four, you can bring your new guy in for the next game. Are you having that at all? No. Well, I, I struggle with, first of all, this concept that everybody knew they were going to lose and, and, and it was a free hit. This is this is Arsenal's relaunch after 20 years um, with a new manager at home, first game of the season, against a City team where most of the squad's been at the World Cup. Um I, you know, it's not a we weren't. It was not a guaranteed City away win at Arsenal. I didn't see it like that. Okay, it panned out like that, and great, fabulous, and we're you know we're we're clearly, you know, we clearly range from very good to to brilliant. Um, But but I don't see that everybody knew that they had no chance, and therefore it was kind of an extension of the preseason for them. Um, And on that basis. I think you have to play pragmatically. And, you know, I, I I had that discussion with you. I had the same discussion with uh, Tony Barrett, the guy that used to be at the Times, is now the Liverpool liaison. Mm. I think it's all very easy for everybody to constantly laugh at Sam Allardyce's archaic way of looking at things. Sam Allardyce is a pragmatic manager who understands that in certain games, you, you can't be... And you'll say it's not right to say naive, but you shouldn't be naive. And and all Sam Allardyce was saying, and I, don't, I don't, definitely don't see it as a dig against City, which some people have said, is City are the best at it. City are on fire, and still on fire, even from last season. 
and don't be stupid. You're just not gonna you're not gonna play City at that game, especially when you clearly haven't got it nailed down in your own team. Um, so give it a rest for one week. Uh, by all means, try it against West Ham or whoever else they've got next. But but don't be naive because all it's going to do is cause you trouble, and it did cause them trouble. So mm. we'll come back um, to this theme I, I, because they play Chelsea next, and we're going to preview that game a little bit later. Um, so we'll come back to how they deal with uh, with that. Just looking at it from City's point of view, that game. Um, what do you think was the what for you was the most impressive? individual performance coming off the back of the preseason or the truncated preseason. Yeah. Um, so two mm-hmm. for me and not, not Bernardo and not silver, uh, not Sterling who I think both played very well, but to, the two for me that were standouts were uh, Laporte who was absolutely flawless. And I know stones was good as well, but I thought Laporte uh, edged mm-hmm. it out. And I think it was interesting that almost no discussion about it whatsoever. Um, uh, and if you contrast that with some of the stuff that I was listening to in the, on the back of Liverpool, the mighty Liverpool's win at home to the mighty <laughs> West Ham, this kind of acceptance, and actually Jamie Redknapp was doing it, um, I think, before the City game, this new acceptance that um, Van Dijk is the best centre-half in, Lond- in, in, um, in Europe. I mean, it, it, it's, I, don't know where, I don't know when it happened, um, but but it seems to be the narrative. I thought Laporte was was immense at Arsenal. Um, and then the other one for me was Sergio, who I, I thought. I mean, it's a shame he didn't pass the ball or or finish it. But but I thought his overall performance was was really something. So um, yeah, I thought it was a lot of positive signs. But those two stood out. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think with Laporte? Uh, or with our defenders, all of them, in fact, to a to a greater or a lesser extent, that because there's this. I mean, I remember, you know, I'll, not I remember. I I feel as though whenever you listen to people, supporters of other teams talking about City or journalists talking about City, the weakness, quote unquote, is always the defense. It's always, yeah, but you know, don't really. They're not really. Defense isn't really that good. When you look at the performance of Stones and Laporte, and obviously you've picked out Laporte's performance individually, do you think that's City's weakness, their centre-halves? Do you think that that's something that can be targeted and can be got at over the course of the season? Or do you think now we've got sufficient depth and quality where kind of doesn't matter which one drops out? Well, look, it's never about just the, the four players playing mm. at the back uh, anyway, and it never has been. Um, and, you know, some of our vulnerabilities historically have been because of the way the, the rest of the team has been set up and the way the defence has been exposed, or perhaps the goalkeeper at certain times, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I, I don't think it's as simple as uh, who's playing centre-half. We do have to remember this season, for the first time, we now have four centre-halves that each cost £50 million. We have a two... Sorry, not four, four defenders that each cost £50 million. That is a unique situation in world football, and it does mean that the defence, frankly, should be really, really good. I mean, it is, but it should be. Um, it's a £200 million defence. 
Yeah. So I think it will make a difference. Um, I think we're still going to have, first of all, there'll still be mistakes. All these players, you know, they do their best not to make mistakes, but it's a, it's about mistake mitigation. It's not about never making a mistake, never making an error. They will make mistakes. Van Dyke makes mistakes. They all make mistakes. Um, but I don't see our defence uh, this season, if players stay fit um, and perform to the levels that we anticipate, I don't see that we will have um, an issue at the back. I don't think we had an issue at the back last season. Mm. Um, you know, is there... We had players coming in and out, but but you know, you know, and some players playing well and going through phases. I think our big issue at the back this season is... Uh, one, the fitness of the fullbacks, mm-hmm. because I think we've got a very big f- drop off in the absence of those two players. Uh, although you know, Delph Delph can fill in, we know that. Uh, and the second one is what, which version of Otamendi we get for for eighteen nineteen. Yeah. yeah, I think that's uh, uh, that's the that's the bi- the biggest question mark for me uh, remains over Vinny's fitness over the course of the season and over which Otamendi we get this season because we've talked a lot about the quality of his performances last season um, but ultimately I felt as though when he was personally put under pressure he really struggled um, and it's just a fact that in 90% of the games that we played the centre-halves weren't put individually under huge amounts of pressure um, so maybe that kind of what I think is maybe a mental weakness in his game or a kind of lack of composure um, wasn't really uh, wasn't really brought to the fore. You know, I, I think he's a player that can... I think his psychology is really important and, and I think he... I don't know whether he puts a little bit too much pressure on himself or he seems to go at certain times. And yeah. so I think from about mid, mid-March all the way through the World Cup, he had yep. gone, and and he was doing the, he was doing those things that he does when he's in bad yep. phases, uh, over committing, making bad decisions generally, and not being particularly composed. Uh, he looks unhappy on the field in those periods, um, and and it comes through in his performance. Um, you know, I guess the concern is that it was quite a, you know, it's, it's quite a long period from. March all the way through to the end of July when he when he was playing mm. poorly, um, and we don't know what versions yeah. come back. Yeah, I think the good thing is that. Sorry, but, go on. But, no, no, no. I was you just going to say. I think the good thing is that the um, that it seems that the 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 fitness of Stones and Laporte right now is is at a really high level, and they're playing. They're, or certainly in the in the Community Shield and last weekend, they're playing at a really high level. So for the moment we can almost park the Otamendi thing. Uh, another question for you, though. Well, well just it's on, on, on Otamendi. It's a, it's a question about Otamendi. But famous last words. Yeah, first definitely. Time, Sorry about that. Right, It can change very quickly. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, I don't know which episode it was on, but it reminded you last night of the, of the Leicester uh, away game where Stones goes down. Stones is in incredible form through yes. to the Leicester game. And yep. then he's out for, you know, a long yeah. time. Things can change. No, really definitely. Quickly. But that's why I was going to ask you, with somebody like Otamendi, how do you, would you, like, so for example, we play we play Huddersfield and maybe it's a question for the preview, but I'll ask you now anyway. Um, 
do you play do you begin to play Otamendi already to begin to get his rhythm and his level right so that if there is an issue with an injury he can be dropped in and you have more confidence or do you not disrupt the two that are playing at the level that they're playing at and almost run the risk that if one of them go down you've got to drop Otamendi in he'll pick it up fast yeah I mean I I was I was thinking about this in the context of the team for for the weekend mm. um my I did, first of all, I've no idea what the answer is. I, I think uh, he, my perception would be that we now operate a squad of players who have been under the manager for two years that understand the way it works and that there's a large degree of interchangeability despite the fact they're quite different players. And I think probably, therefore, he won't worry too much about partnerships and... Uh, bedding players in to a new season. He'll play the the players he wants to play. And if one goes down, then he'll swap out whoever the options that he has. He'll choose one of those options and swap them in. So I would think it's more likely, long, long-winded answer to that question, and it's more likely he plays Laporte and Stones again. Okay. And, and final thing on the, um, on the centre-halves, do you think it's a case of, over the course of the season, do you think it will be a case of horses for courses in that position? Um, in terms of deciding whether Vinny or Otamendi play, or do you think, or do you feel that a an established first choice partnership is being developed in Stones and Laporte? Both. Okay. So, I mean, I think I think there is a that they are the first choice. Yeah. I think, uh, oh, oh, yeah, long term. But I also think that over the season, he will say, right, today we've got some physicality away at Cardiff and playing the more physical centre-halves and I'm resting one of the others yes. or, or both or both of the others. I, I, I mean, you know, I think you can see they talk a lot about physicality even on the first episode. Um, look, it's not a revolutionary thought that you might need different players in the Premier League versus Spain, yeah. uh, which I thought was a... <laughs> A very strange thing to be coming up in conversation in um, in in summer seventeen, but um, yeah, you, you're going to come up. You're really going to come up against it away at Cardiff because they've got nothing else. So, you know, we will. I think we there's an appreciation of the importance of that, and I think you'll yeah, see it absolutely. Um, okay, moving forward into the week, uh, the next interesting thing actually that happened was on our podcast we spoke to the author of pep confidential and pep the evolution marty perinow um i love talking to marty because i feel like it's the nearest we'll get to an insight into guardiola's mind and and the way he thinks outside obviously of the all or nothing documentary um did you listen to the interview what did you make of it do you like hearing marty speak do you think I'm right when I say that it's an insight into Pep's mind or am I overplaying it a little bit? No, I, I, that's exactly what I always say on these. On, on, when, I, um, when, I, when I push those interviews, um, he, I, I think when you, when you hear uh, Marty talk, he talks with such detail. It's not just the sort of, sort of fake authority of a journalist. He talks with such detail about little things in games little details that he either recalls or has had discussions with Pep about that you just know that it's the real it's the real deal. Mm. 
And so um, I always think that it's, you know, it's the closest you get to a, to an interview with, with Pep and actually possibly even more than something like uh, All or Nothing because, uh, you know, you're getting... What, whatever we think about that documentary series, they are going to be guarded about what they say because there's a, there's a camera. They know every other manager. I mean, the number of managers last night that must have watched four or five episodes of that I did program. I think about that. Other Premier League managers. You know, if, I, if you're, if, if you're, um, what's he called? The, the Huddersfield guy. David Wagner. Um, there's, no, there's no doubt Wagner's watching the, the entire series today. <laughs> um, I mean, it just, it just must totally. be. I mean, if he's not, if he's not, then he's, he's not doing his job. I mean, so, so I think he'd, he'd be quite guarded on there. And obviously Marty uh, has got an insight. I think it's, obviously we're reading between the lines, but to me, it's very obvious that he's got very good insight. It's very obvious that he has a level of detail in that insight that is that is of interest and it fits with you know maybe this is where maybe this is sort of confirmation bias but it fits with so much of what we see from the outside um that it joins a lot of those dots that's what i love about mm. it you know so you're like okay so we had a bit of a doubt around let's say Jorginho, as to what happened well i don't think we have as much doubt after that interview nope I think we know pretty much almost precisely what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than the Jorginho stuff, with the, from this week's interview, was there, what, were the, what were the other takeaways for you, if there were any? Uh, you know, the way they talk about who the player this year is going to be and these sorts of... Who he, th- he thought that the, the, most, the biggest improvements... Um, the quality of the guy interviewing him was really exceptional. <laughs> um, I don't know what, you, what. What did you like about it? I mean, I like you know, I like what he said about. I, Leroy. I thought there was loads of really interesting stuff. I, I think that I, I kind of, I, I went into the interview with Marty, feeling like I'm going to ask him about Leroy, and I asked him before we started the interview because I'd worded it in a very particular way in the notes. And, and I asked him whether he had a problem with me asking the question in that way. And he said, no, no, I'll answer it. So I was actually quite nervous when I asked it because I didn't know what he was going to say. Um, and it was kind of nice to hear him say, I think from the outside, sometimes you can look at Leroy's body language uh, and l- listen to some of the things that Pep has said about him in preseason last summer and in preseason again this summer and almost feel like, hmm, is there an attitude problem there? Um, and so it was really nice to kind of hear Marty talk about Leroy, firstly about how high his ceiling could be, uh, how much Pep loves him and rates him. And then finally, the, the big biggest takeaway for me was just the kind of nonchalant way in which he said, well, he's just a slow starter in, in, in seasons and some young players are like that. And it's not really anything to do with, you know, him not looking after himself or him having the wrong mentality. It's just human beings physically and mentally have different, different ways of, of kind of dealing with the off season and coming back into the season. And it maybe at this age takes him a little bit longer to get going. Um, so I, 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 that was a big one for me because I, I kind of went into that interview really mm. wanting to try and find out if there is something that we're 
kind of not seeing with uh, with him. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. There's there's something interesting. There is something interesting on Leroy though. I mean, you know, I, I so I I heard that as possibly uh, almost likely to be Pep's view on it. I that the situation is not a big deal. Mm. But I think there are enough signs overall um, on on the Sane thing that it might be a bigger deal for Sane. Um, he may not disagree with the approach. He may not disagree with the fact. So I heard an interview with KDB, um, which I think is I think is the football focus interview. But I heard a clip of it on um, on Radio Five yesterday, and it referenced. KDB calming Sane down at Wigan when he got subbed. Um, and I, so I think it was an interview on KDB about all or nothing. So I think when we get to the Wigan episode, you, you, you see that. Now, I've not, I've not seen it, but KDB was then being asked about it because it, they, were, they were effectively saying, oh, you're, you know, you're like a kind of father figure to some of the younger players. And so he's explaining uh, Sane was was very annoyed at being substituted. Uh, KDB was telling him to calm down and not let the manager see how upset he was uh, because the uh, Bruyne said, you know, some managers really don't like that. Um, but I don't... So uh, overall, I don't think there's no issue with with Sane. There's too many indicators from, from the, the slow starts, to the non-selection for uh, Germany, to this little situation. I mean, how many times was the guy substituted in in those sorts of not not many, mm. you know? So it's not like um, it, it, it is interesting. So I think there is something that we need to watch there. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a very fair point. Um, and I do. I mean, I, I, I guess for me though, I, I do view those things very much through the manager's or I want to view them through the manager's prism in that as long as Pep's going, there's not an issue for me right now, then there's not an issue for me right now. Now, it might well be, as you say, that for Leroy, it's a little bit more of an issue. Maybe Pep's management. I mean, it'll be interesting when we get to that Wigan episode in the All or Nothing documentary, because when he says, some of you play better when you hate me, you know, we've had conversations about who's he talking about. I think Aguero could, could easily be put on that list. Leroy could be put on that list. Sterling maybe even could be could be put on that list. Would that be fair? Would you say? Uh, it's not the impression I got from the body language that you see on Sterling, certainly, uh, and the, the the impression you get of Sergio is that he's it's almost the opposite in that uh, he's so laid back that that could be the issue as yeah. opposed to confrontational with the manager. I think Sane definitely. Mm. Uh Yaya probably. Uh you know, those sorts of players. But it's hard to say, isn't it? Uh, you know, I don't so but uh, anyway, the the point overall, I, I agree that the Sane piece, one is it was a really interesting aspect of of that that interview. And it is it is an interesting mini soap opera within the squad. And there aren't many. I mean so I think that's why that's why it's so interesting. One, because obviously he's a brilliant player, but two, it really strikes me that there is a unity within that squad, which is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Um, KDB's injury. It's uh, it's bad. 
but it's not as bad as we potentially thought because we're hearing this morning that it'll probably be two months and it's just a tweak, a strain of the, uh, of the ligament. Uh, how are we going to cope during what I'm going to call flat track September based on the, uh, on the fixtures that we've got? Yeah. How do you think we're going to cope? Um, well, we're going to cope, right? I'm not sure. I don't think cope's the right word. We're going to be fine. Uh, but just take a step back. So first of all, I think it's a, it, it, it is what it is, right? So there's not a lot you can do about it. It's happened. It's very bad news. I, I don't think it can be, um, I don't think it can be dismissed even in the context of, what are relatively easy games over the next few weeks. Because if you look back on last season, um, you know, maybe the difference between winning the league and not winning the league is converting it's very fine margins. You know, late winners at Bournemouth, late winners against Southampton, um, late winner against Huddersfield. Um, There are fine margins and, and De Bruyne is a big, big loss. And he's not replaceable by anybody in world football, so you know, you know, we can we can cope, but I don't think we should delude ourselves that it's not going to have an impact on the way we play, on uh, and possibly on the number of points that we get, even from six relatively easy games. Mm, okay, if you were, it, hmm. and it won't be six, by the way, it's going to be more, right? Yeah. So let me ask you one thing then. Uh, just playing devil's advocate for a minute. Let's say that we get to the end of that period, the Brian comes back and we've not dropped a point. Does that then, is, is that almost like a, a added pressure on the rest of the league? Is there, is there a sense that if we can ride this injury for the next two months and come out the other end without having dropped a point, that psychologically for the rest of the league then, it's it's just another nail. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen, but uh, uh, Raw or the Anfield Rap, one of the Liverpool podcasts has done uh, a 24-minute podcast on what the KDB injury means for Liverpool. <laughs> so it, it's on YouTube. Um, I haven't watched it, but it's 24 minutes. Uh, so yeah, I think the flip side of that has to be if we come through it unscathed, uh, I think other teams will think this, this team is, you know, is insurmountable. And also he'll be rested. I mean, I think, you know, definitely the one thing that, that I can, the one benefit I can see is that on the back of, I think he played something like 60 games, um, uh, August to August. I think that's what one of um, Christoph's tweets said. Um, you know, on the back, or maybe even more than 60, maybe it was 65, but um, that, to, to to then have a proper rest enforced um, without a, a recover, you know, a very serious recovery from injury. It's not like, there's not a rehabilitation of a tear. It, it's, it shouldn't be that um, traumatic. The rehabilitation. I mean, it could be a it could be a blessing for the rest of the season. Mm. I can definitely see the uh, 
the the silver lining in the uh, in the rest definitely. Uh, final thing on the KDB injury before we talk about Chelsea Arsenal. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever talked to you about Gundogan. Uh, obviously, he's a player who there will be a lot more focus on now that uh, KDB is injured for a couple of months. What do you make of him? Do you think he's somebody who can potentially go up another level in a moment like this? Or are you kind of more on the side that he's flattered to deceive for too long? I'm probably halfway. I, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think he's as bad as people make out. I mean, he's a... And I don't actually even think he was particularly bad against um, uh, against Arsenal. I mean, he he made a couple of mistakes, but he wasn't. He didn't have a poor performance, to my mind. Um, he, uh, you know, he he was instrumental in the second goal. He created the chance for Sergio with with the tackle in midfield. Um, I just don't. Think, he's just not KDB, but nobody's KDB. You know. Mm. We're talking about trying to replace one of the best five players in Europe, in my view, and and so it's not going to happen. Um, so we'll have to just cope with it, but it's not going to be the same. And and I don't. I think we've seen kind of the range, you know, um, Gundogan's range of performances. I don't think we're going to see much different now. He's an experienced player. He's he's good, but he's not brilliant. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. I want to talk about Chelsea Arsenal at Stamford Bridge um, because that's the game we're going to preview and I think it's going to be a very interesting game. Um, to start with, uh, which manager has got the bigger job? Emery or Sari and why? Uh, I think Emery's got a much bigger job because uh, I think they're almost... Uh, I think they're almost snookered, you know. Um, they are, they've got a squad that is not fit for purpose, in my view. Uh, got loads of legacy issues. Uh, they've got a, an ownership structure that thinks that in 2018, you can finish sixth and buy five or six players for a total of, I don't know, 70 million quid maybe. And that that is going to materially improve your chances of finishing in the top four. I think that's naive in the extreme. Um, I think they've got a fan base whose expectations is totally out of check with um, current reality. So the idea that you change the manager and it fixes the problem on the pitch immediately is fanciful. Uh, I think Neville said that they need three or four windows to to fix it. They do, uh, but but three or four windows of actually spending some proper money. And if they're not going to spend proper money, if they think they're going to, in an over-speculated market, be able to buy uh, a new squad of players for bargain basement prices, I think they're delusional. Mm. And, um, and, and all of that whilst playing Europa League. I think it's a horrible situation they're in at the moment. Yeah. And what about... And then, sorry, I was just going to say, what about Chelsea in terms of Sari and how he... Do, firstly, do you think he can get them back into the top four? And secondly, how do you think their season plays out? Well, look, they've got good players. So, you know, they're not as good as... I don't, they're not as good as us. Their squad isn't as good as us, but they've got some very good players. So, 
you know, they've, they've probably got eight very good players. And and that should be enough to give them a very good run on United uh, for third and fourth. So okay. I don't think they're going to do better than that. I, I, I can't see that they can realistically challenge for the title. Um, not not with those centre-halves, for example. Um, not with a brand-new goalkeeper, unless he really hits the ground running. Um you know, not with the, just the inherent instability in the squad that that Chelsea Chelsea have. Um, you know, so I think at the moment, I know I know this is predictable and sort of what everybody, most people think anyway. Except actually, you, you're quite. We'll talk about your view on Chelsea in a minute because I think you, you're you're probably a bit more bullish. But I, I think it's it's a two horse race for the title and uh, a two horse race for third and fourth. Um, I think Spurs have completely botched the whole thing for this season. And I think Arsenal will be happy with six by the end. Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I'm a bit more bullish about Chelsea because I, uh, I I think they have a lot more quality than than people give them credit for. I think that because last season imploded as badly as it did, um, Memories are a little bit short in terms of just how good they were the season before. And I think the key thing with that Chelsea team, and granted Courtois is gone, um, but the key thing for me is the spine. I mean, I I actually think that, you know, Christensen is up there with Stones and Laporte as one of the best young defenders, centre-halves in the uh, in the league, maybe, maybe even in Europe. Um, I think you, if you've got Kante and now Jorginho, as a whether it be as a double pivot or one as a a, a six and and one as an eight, that's incredibly strong, incredibly incredibly strong. And then they've got Hazard, Pedro, and William. Now they don't have depth, and they have to deal with Morata. Um, but I kind of look at the quality throughout the side, and I go, you know, people talk. People are talking about Liverpool because of what Liverpool last did last season, and forgetting what Chelsea did the season before. I think Chelsea under Sarri can score the a crazy amount of goals if it clicks. And the question of will it click is something that I don't think will take a long time for us to find out. So I think come the end of October, they're either playing Sarri ball and they're making mincemeat of the bottom half of the table or they're really struggling and Sarri's potentially out of a job already. But I don't see... I don't really see a middle ground. I don't see a kind of, you know... Yeah, I just I guess that I don't see them having four good results and then a couple of bad ones and then four good results and a couple of bad ones. I think they'll either find consistency relatively quickly or they won't have any at all. And I'm leaning towards the uh, the former, but maybe yeah. That's but you me. express the middle ground. You, you express the middle ground because I don't doubt they'll they'll make mincemeat of the bottom half of the table um, once he gets his system right. Uh, I, you know, I can accept that. I'm not sure I buy that Pedro and William are, uh, you know, sort of top top level players in in 2018. But but fine, we can disagree on that. the 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 key will be how they do in terms of the top eight, and um, I don't know what they're going to do against the top eight. I think they've got big big holes in the in the side. They've got a big hole in the middle up front. And we got a big hole at centre half. Even if Christiansen's as good as you say he is, um, 
you know, I mean, Cahill is not going to last very much longer. Um, Luis is not the answer, in my view. You don't rate Rudiger? Um, not not in the slightest. <laughs> no, I, think. I don't know many people. I just, I, I'm actually surprised that he plays every week. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't rate him at all. I've not seen one game where I've thought he looked solid. Okay. Um, how, so, yeah. How do you see that game playing out tomorrow? I mean, obviously Chelsea are, are at home. It's the first game at Stamford Bridge for, for Surrey. Do you think that that kind of gives Chelsea the edge? Or do you think that it will suit Emery and Arsenal to be away from home and, you know, maybe play a side who are similar to City, but not as good as, as City at doing the thing that they want to do? I think, I think Chelsea will win easily. Easily? Easily. 3-0. Wow. Okay. You really have got no time for this Arsenal setup, have you? I, 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 just, I just look at the, uh, uh, you know, I look at Ozil and, and I just can't, I can't for the life of me even understand the guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he looks in a daze and he's on 350 grand a week. They've got Ramsey, they're going to pay 250 a week to, who is just, he's, he had one good season, I think, where he scored a few important goals. He's not a top player. He's got a 19-year-old midfield player who, in reality, tried hard, but he was all over the place. They've got a back four that is just not good enough, nowhere near good enough. They've got a goalkeeper who can't play the style of football the manager wants. They've got um, a Banyaman who I like, but has done nothing in any of the games against City, so he's probably not as good as he thinks he is. Lacazette is totally inconsistent um, in and out. Mkhitaryan has had probably three good games in 18 months. You know, it's not good enough. And, and so I don't, see, I don't see where they go from where they are at the moment. And I think they need a radical change of the squad. Um, and I don't think just changing the manager is going to get them there. But I, hmm. I might be completely wrong. I mean, you know, maybe they'll, they'll get, get their stuff together. I don't think it's just a system problem. I think they've got personnel issues and yeah. personnel issues are not fixed quickly. Yeah. I think, I think that uh, I, there's a lot of truth in a lot of what you say. I think that I like Unai Emery and, and I tend to have that type of bias. If I like a manager, I do like the Sarri thing where, you know, there's not really any reason for me to say they can mount a title challenge, but I still said it a week ago. It was like, yeah, I think they can mount a title challenge. And I, I think it's similar with Emery. I don't, I don't, I'm not, Convinced they get into the top four. I think I said on League Matters that they might squeeze into the sneak into the top four. Um, I think it's going to be interesting if you look at Spurs standing still and whether that has a regressive effect upon them and whether Arsenal and Chelsea, both of them, can elevate themselves on any level beyond what they did last season. But I do absolutely think there's a lot of truth in what you've said about the flaws that Arsenal have. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if they drop even further. Like, for example, if they do end up finishing eighth or ninth, you'll be able to say, I told you so. And I'll probably say, well, yeah, I guess it could have happened. Yeah, I I, but I don't think they're going to finish eighth or ninth. I mean, I, I, I think they'll finish sixth. You know, I think everything I've just, all those players I've just slagged off um, are all players who for, I don't know, 20 games a season will put in good enough performances to beat most teams below the top eight. And they'll finish, they'll finish probably sixth. The other factor on both of the teams we're talking about is Europa. And 
if you take it seriously, it will impact your season. Yeah, definitely. If you don't take huge. it seriously, you'll get away with it. But but if you take it seriously, I think it basically means you can't finish in the top four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's. Uh... I think that's a fair show. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's maybe a little bit of an exaggeration to say that you can't finish in the top four. Well, I think that I did say I, I, I have contradicted myself because I said Chelsea would finish in the top yeah, four. Yeah, but, yeah. You, you know, I, I, I just don't think you should take it seriously. It, it's a competition you need to drop out of if you want to be serious about finishing high up the table. Yeah, I, uh, and the, none of these managers seem to want to. I think with Sarri and with Emery, I think that that with 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 Emery obviously he's won it twice. So I don't see him I don't see him throwing it away because it's a competition he knows and he likes. And I think with Sarri, I just don't think Sarri's won enough trophies in his career. I don't know if he's won any, but I certainly don't think he's won enough to take a team with the quality of Chelsea into a competition like the Europa League and then completely toss it off. I just I'm not sure that that he will do that. But yeah, I mean we'll I guess we'll see in in September how they how they navigate the the balance between they've got the two a better they got a better squad so if anybody can do it um you know probably almost if anybody in the premier league can do it aside from maybe ourselves um they'll be the ones because they've got they have got a big squad yeah and they also have high quality young players that they can bring in absolutely and they can kind of do what united did the the year that they won it with Mourinho, where you you know they didn't really take it seriously until the knockouts. I mean, they played absolute scratch teams until they got to the yeah. uh, until they got to the last stages of the knockouts, and they still managed to get there. And it is a weird competition like that that you know the the big English teams certainly, I think, with the big squads can do well. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's have a little look uh, to wrap this up at City's first home game of the season against Huddersfield. Um, first test for. But, I mean, Pep talked in the Sky preview for the season and my Perinel talked on our podcast about the challenge this season being to unlock the deep block and that being the, you know, basically when the opposition centre forward is sat on Fernandinho and then behind him you've got 10 defenders. Um, before we get into that, what did you make of Huddersfield last season? Um... They did okay against us. I didn't rate them over the season as a whole. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was quite a typical newly promoted team. Looked good early on. Uh, you know, looked like uh, the manager knew what he was doing. Had that mid-season lull. Um, it's interesting that Pep actually referenced um, when he would have preferred to have played the newly promoted teams when he was looking at the fixture list. I think on the preview, actually. Yeah. You know he he's he's a bit pissed off that we've got all of them quite early on, and I I agree with yeah. that. Um, so they, I think they they were as I would have expected. I think they did well to stay up. Uh, I think they lack quality though, and uh, apparently they were dire against Chelsea. They were. Um, I watched it. Yeah. So you know, I, how how. You know what are they going to try and do? I mean, you know, they know that the best that they can do is get away with a, with a point. Having said that, you know, I did look at the uh, I did look at the home game last season. I for, I'd forgotten that it was the last home game and that they actually got a point, <laughs> um, and they actually nearly won it. You know, you forget, uh, and I know it was a very unusual game, but they actually nearly won it at the end. Um, so I don't think they've got much that we're going to be concerned about. I think it's going to be all about, can we break them down? Um, 
And I think for that, Mendy's going to make a big difference. Before we talk about what City can do, can they, uh, on Huddersfield, do you think they can stay up again this season or or do you see it as it being a, maybe a, a step too far with the investment that the newly promoted sides or certainly Fulham and Wolves have made this season? Yeah, I think it, I think it's quite hard to... to to predict with certainty the, the three teams. I think you can you can say with certainty Cardiff will go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because they've got, you know, first of all, Warnock never keeps anybody up. And, you know, he's got good skills at getting people up, but he's not good at, at retaining. Um, they don't seem to have the requisite quality. I'm not saying it's an easy game when we go there and et cetera, but, but I don't, I don't think they can stay up. I think for the rest of it, there's the usual five or six, seven teams that could be, that could get relegated and Huddersfield are definitely one of them. Um, I think it'll be borderline for them probably. Um, so yeah. And that, like, I'm assuming that the first game was a bit of a one-off. Um, and that they'll they'll get they'll get some points at home, and um, I don't see them getting many points away from home. So yeah, typical of many, I think this, as I say, five or six teams that are in the same position as Huddersfield. But yeah, I think Fulham and um, Fulham and Wolves complicate things. Um, if you look at the game from City's perspective, is it uh, is it a potential banana skin, or do you kind of view it now? on the back of last season more as almost a kind of perfunctory home win where you turn up and you just expect the quality to get through even if they play in second gear yeah I mean I don't I think banana skin is Crystal Palace away on a Monday night (laughs) I like that I nearly previewed that game uh, I nearly previewed that game on this podcast but I thought it was a little too early in the season to start predicting Liverpool defeats no I'm I'm sure Liverpool will come through it but but it's clearly a it's got potential for to be a tricky game Um, Arsenal always a banana skin for for us at the moment Um, I, I think I think you'd be hard pushed to construct an argument that Huddersfield at home is a banana skin. I mean, if, if we are serious about retaining the title, it has to be a, 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 an easy win and we have to break down their low block. Um, in terms of how you... Going back to the conversation we had earlier about Otamendi and about, you know, maybe in a game like this, do you throw him in so that he get game time and a bit of match fitness? Is this the type of game early in the... What, what do you prefer at this point in the season? Do you prefer complete consistency in the starting eleven, Or do you prefer almost in each game giving one player, swapping one player in and out to make sure that of your, you know, of your core 16, they're all getting match fitness in the first month, two months of the season? Mm. I think as long as you've got nine... Nine of your first team. I don't. I'm. I'm relaxed. Okay. Okay. So you know, I, I, the only thing that he might try tomorrow, I think it's unlikely, but he might is uh, John Stones in midfield. Hmm. You know, if you want to, if you if if you want to see if that works, and you want to give one of the other centre backs a run out as well, you know, why not Huddersfield at home? Yeah. That's that's a very interesting shout. It was interesting actually what Marty said when I, I kind of pushed him on whether Pep was being serious or whether it was like a 
you know, like an answer that you give because you've been asked the question. And uh, he seemed pretty serious in, in saying Pep was serious, that it is absolutely a, um, an option for him. And I think you're right. It is in a game like this where where you'd see, where you potentially could see Stones playing. Um, I want to... Just, just on that, it's only an option because... You know, they're looking for other solutions to a problem they didn't think they were going to yeah. have. So I don't think even even Pep knows it's it kind of theoretically might work, but even he thinks it's a long shot yeah. from the way that they're expressing it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in bigger games where there's a bit more pressing. You know, you have to wonder whether Stones has quick enough feet for that position. I, he's probably going to be okay, but but I you know I don't know. It's just it is a different position. Mm, I com- I completely agree. I think that it's it's such an important position, and I think my big worry would be quick feet. It'd be you know having that. I think you've got to have three hundred and sixty degree awareness if you're gonna, yeah that is the big if you're going to play in that position. Certainly defensively, you can't have men running off the back here. Um, and I would worry with Stones um, that. You just don't know whether he's got that vision. I mean, it might well be that he's got it. it. Might well be that he plays there, and we go, "Oh wow, he's actually pretty good there." But I'm, I'm not. On paper, people have been saying it for twelve months that Stones could play in the defensive midfield position, and I've been saying for twelve months. I don't know, and I certainly don't like it as an idea. It's not an experiment that I would be behind. Having said that, once Pep's gone, well, yeah, it's a potential I could do it. Then okay, against somebody like Huddersfield, it'd be interesting to see it, but. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not completely convinced. Uh, let's put it that way. It, it, it's funny that Vinny doesn't get a mention there, given that he was. That's where he played when we signed. Yeah, him. no, absolutely. I think it's. I think that it says a lot about the the kind of level of ball playing ability that you've got to have. That probably four or five years ago, we saw. I certainly saw Vinny as a ball playing centre back. I, I always in. You know, if you go back to the him and Lescott partnership, yeah. Lescott was the one who was afraid of the football and Vinny was the one who was comfortable on the ball because he played as a midfielder. But yeah, now he, he, he doesn't get he doesn't even get a mention. And I think that's because he's just not good enough on the ball. Yeah, I, it's all relative. I think that I, he's, he, he is good enough. It's just that not he's not at... I think he's good enough. I don't, I don't think... It, I think that's quite harsh. He's just not at the level. He's not at the the next level that 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 are Pep's preference, yeah. and he brings enough enough other attributes that he that he'll get away with. Yeah. It. Um, I mean, of course, he might play Delph tomorrow as well if Delph is fit. I don't know, but given that he wasn't even in the squad, it wouldn't surprise me if he gives him a run. Mm, I do think that if he does play Delph, it won't be at left back because I do think that with Mendy this season, I, I imagine they're going to take the view that. He, to get him to his best, he's got to play 20, 25 games as soon as possible. Um, so, well, especially especially against the low block, I think yes. uh, I think they'll want him tomorrow. No, I, I agree with you. If he was going to play Delph, he'll play him. In, he'll rest Fernandinho. Yeah. That was what I was thinking. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, Stefan, to wrap this up, I want you to pick me not the team you think Pep will pick, but what team you would pick to unlock Huddersfield on Sunday. Uh. I'd probably go. <sighs> is there any reason to change? If you, is, would you change anything? 
maybe David is David Silva fit? I don't. I think he's trained all week. I think if 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 David Silva's fit, I'd like to see David Silva instead of Gundogan. Okay. Um, uh, aside from that, I think the team's fine. I I wouldn't bring Jesus back. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't change. Um, I wouldn't bring Sane back just yet. I'd like to see Mares get some confidence boost by scoring or doing something. Um, Sterling has to start, so I'd I'd go same again. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was trying to figure out how to make it more attacking, but I don't know. I think Silver, you know, if you put, you play Silver rather than uh, Gundogan, I think that uh, that works. Yeah, definitely, yeah, it's I, definitely you know, more. Attacking. But he's got to be fit. I, I, I get the maybe we just won't see very much um, David Silver at all this season, in, except in you know maybe very big games. I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know what his plan is. Mm, I think they have to manage. Silver's minutes because I think that he has shown that when he's fit and he's fresh, he can play at a level that there's not many players in the world that can play at. Play at. And I mean, not just in the opposition final third, but I mean, actually in City's half of the pitch as well. I think that, you know, he's tenacious and, and he's got the work rate and he's robust in a way. Basically, I think that he's a player who, if you manage his minutes this season, in the biggest of big games, he's the first name on the team sheet and he impacts those games in the final third of the season much more than he has done in the past. That's certainly my vibe when I look at how they're going to manage his minutes. Mm, yeah, makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I think in terms of the team, I would uh, I would go along with you. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything except for David Silva um, because I think that would make it more... Uh, more attacking, right? Give me a give me a score prediction throughout the sub. Uh, well, I think we'll win four um, 0 I don't know. I know that's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? But <laughs> you know, if they get going, if they get a couple of goals, I mean, what what can what can Huddersfield do if they get if City got two ahead? I think Huddersfield looked bad. I think Huddersfield looked really really bad. I thought that that against Chelsea. Um, they looked like a team who were going to get relegated this season. And unless they have improved dramatically within the week, I think your 4-0 score prediction is pretty safe, Stefan. I mean, it's just making that breakthrough. You know, I know I know it, reg- it regularly is, but it really is against these sort of teams. It's that first goal breakthrough. Uh, the game changes very, very quickly at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, I'm going to wrap this up. That was the Friday show on the 9320 podcast. Stefan, thank you very much. Cheers. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. If you haven't signed up for the 9320 player and you're interested, go to our website, 9320.com and check it out. It's four pounds a month. Last season, we did over 120 podcasts, I believe, and we do reviews after every game. We do previews for all the games. We do history podcasts. We do interviews podcasts on all things city related and premier league in general and this season we're going to try and do some european shows as well to talk about uh some of the big european leagues so yeah um if you're interested go and check that out and in the meantime up the blues